Well, howdy, folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Texas Signal Signal Cast. I'm your host, Joe Desotel, and I'm here with my co-host, Jessica Montoya Coggins. Hello, Jessica. Hey, Joe. <laughs> well, uh, we always talk about how eventful things have been during the summer when things are normally quiet. There's uh, not quite as much going on at the moment, but the things that are going on are really big deals. And so we have to talk about them. First of all, we have uh, Kamala Harris, vice president, coming down to the border for the very first time since she has been in this position and sort of been anointed uh, with the role of solving the, quote, border crisis that's happening. So that'll be really interesting. And then we got a special announcement for the governor who finally uh, announced that the special session to handle all the things that he couldn't get done during the normal session will be July 8th. So right after we celebrate our independence, we go right back and try to destroy the right to vote. That's the plan. So um, let's start from the top. So Kamala Harris coming to Texas, um, but she'll be sort of in the El Paso area of Texas, yes, not that's, South Texas. Right, and and that's been a, so this has been obviously like a point of contention for Texas Republicans. They've been going to Fox News and OANN complaining about how the vice president uh, has not traveled to the border. Um, so now she is uh, making this trip to El Paso. And I guess that's again, the wrong border. Uh, so this is again, they're just moving these goalposts uh, which, um, so yes, uh, I, we did, uh, uh, Governor Abbott did issue a statement um, basically saying that the vice president uh, is, is not fulfilling her obligations uh, and that she, she should go uh, to the RGV or to the Del Rio region. Um, but that being said, I believe that Congresswoman Veronica Escobar uh, will also be accompanying the vice president. Uh, she was talking about how El Paso is a place that looks to immigration with compassion, uh, as opposed to many of the ways uh, that people like Governor Abbott look at this. So yes, we we will we so, will welcome. Yeah. The that vice makes president. sense that they would stay clear of that area. Then, I mean, just think about it. It's literally called the Pass. I mean, you know, so I mean, their history of cross culture sort of development and economics between the two cities right there at the border is is legendary. Really, like. You know, hearing about uh, from folks who've lived there for generations who will tell you about the times before you had to have a passport to go to Mexico. It was just you go across the border for lunch, you know. Um, oh, yeah. I have a lot of relatives that are from El Paso. My mother spent a couple summers there. And yeah, it was always very uh, commonplace. You would just go across the, across the border, have dinner, come back if you needed something, uh, a little shopping, just down you go. And another reason I think they're avoiding El Paso is because we'll remember the shooting that happened in El Paso. And, you know, the perpetrator had this sort of, well, he called a manifesto, but a screed of some sort that used the terminology invasion and about a Hispanic invasion that was coming across the border. And this happened in El Paso. And now we're starting to hear that exact same language again, coming from these folks who are complaining that she's at the wrong end of the border. They're complaining uh, about a quote unquote invasion and using the same language that the, you know, echoes what was in, you know, that shooter's, you know, manifesto or whatever, explaining why he did what he did. And so, you know, this is concerning to a lot of people, I think. And, you know, that, that, you know, they, 
sort of apologized for the language, or at least the governor did after, because if you'll remember, uh, I think it was, this is a Texas Signal exclusive, actually. We broke the story, I think Joe Bowen, uh, that the governor had just sent out an email or like he must have had it queued up already and like the shooting happened and the email went out from the governor that was basically using this type of language. And then the governor basically, yeah, he, he actually walked that back, you know. Um, but then that was what a year, a whole year ago or whatever. And so now they're back to using the same type of language. And of course they're steering clear of the El Paso community uh, directly, because I think that they know how bad and the optics would be for that, especially while they do all this on the whole other hand is out there making it easier to get guns for criminals, to get guns for people who've been abusers to, to continue to have access to firearms. And so eventually we would hope that these narratives would be exposed and, and that we could expose them for what they're doing. But, um, you know, it's not, it's not happening quick enough for sure. And I feel like they're getting away with a lot of this. So. Yeah. And Abbott said that gun control or some form of gun control would happen after El Paso and look where we are now. Uh, permitless carry is set to take place September 1st. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, there's just, I, they talk about this rise in crime being due right. to uh, defunding police, which please, please tell me the police departments that have been right. defunded. Show, exactly. show me a concrete example. Uh, but no, this is also just people having access to firearms. Uh, it being the summertime, it's hot. Um, there's been, this past year has been very traumatic for many people. You know, there's, it's the reason that crime has, has sort of been rising and it really has mm -hmm. very little to do with uh, the imaginary defunding of police that's occurred. Yes, exactly. Totally. And, you know, even Dan Patrick, who after the El Paso shooting seemed to support background checks for private sales has sort of backed off on that. So it's very clear that they're back in campaign mode and they feel safe to come out and just you know, talk at, at a two sides of their mouth, as long as the two sides are saying the things that their base wants to hear. And, but, you know, the average voter who isn't, you know, a MAGA person who just is like listening to your message on this issue and your message on issue and seeing the incompatibility of talking about public safety and supporting police and then doing things that directly make their job harder and make our communities unsafe just doesn't make a lot of sense. And so my hope is that, you know, people are starting to make these connections. Uh, one thing that might make it a little easier to connect is uh, Donald Trump will be here again in uh, next week, I believe. So Kamala Harris, uh, vice president, of course, like coming in right before that. Um, and then, you know, we'll follow up with, with Trump. And I think that's going to be another reason they complain about why she went to the other part of the border is because he's, of course, going to, uh, I think, probably this, the, the southern part of the border. And, um, you know, that's where I think he'll be doing a tour where they're trying to build portions of the wall. So, Yes, uh, he, he will be down here for that. And he'll also be actually in Dallas a little after that, uh, right before our special special session. Um, he will be at the CPAC conference. So great. get excited, folks. <laughs> oh, yeah. Great excited. More MAGA for all of us. I saw an article actually um, earlier today about the Kushner and uh, Ivanka basically trying to, you know, distance themselves a little bit from, I guess, what Trump is, is doing. You know, I'd imagine like it's got to be 
you know, I don't think about Trump every single day, even if just for momentarily I do. But I can't imagine what this is like to be somebody who's close to him and just trying to live, you know, yeah, sure. I, I don't feel bad for them at all, but the, I just can't imagine what that's like living with this guy who they say still for hours at a time, he will go on and on about the 2020 election. And like, if you're looking at that and then thinking about the future, you, you know, it, it, it can't look very bright, you know, uh, the chances of him getting back in there. And, and, and he's, he's just, he's there to settle scores. He's not there to do anything for the country anymore at this point. Uh, even if the things he was doing were terrible, it's only about settling scores now. And yeah, so it seems like between that and the indictments and the, you know what's going on at the state level in New York is really starting to catch up with them. I always look very skeptically at these articles that try and rehabilitate uh, Jared and Ivanka. I always have a feeling that they're the main sources on that. Oh yeah, no, but, I, I don't feel bad for them in any way. Yeah, just but no, it it is true. He kind of reminds me like I don't know if you've ever had to go to Branson, Missouri, or places like that, but. Sometimes you'll see like these comedians or singers, they'll get like the 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. slots and, you know, they're trying to do their sets, um, but it is just tends to be uh, jokes you might hear at Branson, Missouri at 10 a.m. It kind of reminds me of that or like some drunk, some like if you if there was if you were at a bar and there was a drunk there that was just like ranting as much as Donald Trump, you would you'd probably you they would probably be asked to, to leave. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, man, but he's coming here because he definitely has an audience. And, you know, it's it's everyone in the Republican primary right now who is just scratching to get his endorsement. One person who just entered is Ava Guzman, who I don't know if you saw her opening video, introductory video, but she is running for attorney general against Kim Paxton. Did you watch her video? Yeah, yeah, and I've I've met I've met uh, the judge a couple of times. Oh, okay. I've always been impressed by her. Um, yeah, I think this was a bold thing for her to do. I'm I'm still a little skeptical on on sure. how this will play out, and I actually mm -hmm. think this this will help Ken Paxton in, in the long run. Uh, there being at least three prominent Republicans. Yeah. There. So, well, the good news is they're going to spend money. The bad news is it's going to be on a very awful messaging that it's going to be going out most likely, but hopefully it'll be aimed at each other. And I could definitely see running a campaign against George P. Bush in Harris County, where a quarter of Republican votes come from, that he distributed zero dollars for Harvey, you know, rehabilitation that was slated for them, because it doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican, that hurricane hit you in some way. And that money is for your infrastructure. And he chose really dumb politics. If he knew he was running and a quarter of the votes come from that area, you want to have 10 different like, you know, ribbon cuttings in, in, in Harris County said, hey, when I was land commissioner, you know, you're built rebuilding this bridge or, you were, you know, this is whatever. But he chose to play really dumb politics, I think, and and in denying those funds to Harris County, and then end up getting rebuked by a bipartisan commission, like Republicans and Democrats elected in Harris County, saying, "What's your deal, dude?" And then him having to go back to the federal government, a Democrat administration, and beg for more money to be given. It just looks really bad. And it's like, dude, you literally had one job. 
one job. I know, and he also messed up the Alamo. My goodness. He messed up the Alamo. So I went on Fox 7 here in Austin locally to talk about this race specifically and, you know, Eva Guzman's, like, entrance. And I, you know, I mentioned that too, that, like, he literally, the, the two things over four years that he had, he screwed up both of them. And that Ava Guzman, as you mentioned, is like basically the only person actually qualified to hold this position. And for that reason, we should be concerned. But looking at the current state of politics in the Republican Party, it's almost like that's a reason we don't have to be concerned about her. She's way, you know, too qualified. And I think I said something like she can't compete with the incompetence of, of you know, Kim Paxton. So I don't know if that Republican voters would choose her at this point in their primary. So yeah, I, I got uh, somebody forwarded me an invitation for an event for Ken Paxton a few days ago at the the home of a prominent Dallas Republican, and it it kind of a lot of the people that I thought maybe would they defect from Ken Paxton, they really haven't. So no. unbelievable. No, they're so into their own sauce. I mean, you know, so the hope is that there is a broader electorate out there. We get a good candidate. Um, you know, we talk about the different candidates we have, Lee Merritt and, and Joe Jaworski, both um, are folks that have at least expressed interest. Jaworski is full on campaigning. We, we've expressed how Lee Merritt is kind of like one foot in, it seems like at this point. I don't know if he's completely official campaigning yet. It doesn't seem like it from what I know and what I understand, but um We'll, we shall see in due time. I believe that 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 will end up happening. I mean, he has been very focused on the Marvin Scott case. I should we should say okay. that our our colleague Kennedy uh, spoke with him earlier this week regarding um, the the officers who were acquitted. And that y'all should check that out. I know she was she was doing her journalistic due diligence about the AG's race. And my understanding is that they'll be discussing that. I think the first or second week of July. So mm-hmm. I guess keep your eyes peeled for that. Yeah. And so the other thing we're going to be keeping our eyes peeled on here is the governor calling a special session July 8th. But what's actually going to be on that call? Of course, we have our speculation that the SB7 like bill will will go up for our voter suppression. It'll be a grab bag of voter suppression tactics put in there. But there could be other things as well. We expect Article 10 funding, uh, which we have discussed before as is essentially defunding the legislature and legislative branch of government, which includes, ironically, the one thing it doesn't include is the legislators themselves. So their their money that they get in from salary is actually in the constitution. It's not in the budget. So the budget <laughs> includes all the staff who basically have to do what their members say, and they had nothing to do with the walkout in that sense. They didn't walk out on their jobs. And the legislative reference library for which I'm literally using to read his vetoes is also part of that funding. And everybody who works there, all the attorneys at the legislative budget board who actually uh, you know, do the budgeting and, the, and, the, um, the, and all the attorneys that actually write the legislation when a, a member might say, I wanna do a bill that does this they go to some very smart lawyers who work for the state of Texas who will draw up a bill that would do that in accordance with the current law and with in the constitution. And they create that framework for all the bills. And so this is what the governor has defunded. He's gonna have to put that issue back on the call. The interesting thing is legislators don't actually have to vote on anything or do anything that the governor mandates 
he just the only thing is that the governor gets to set the agenda so the governor the only thing the legislature can even consider is what he puts on the call and so he will of course put the funding on the call he'll put the uh, voter suppression bill on the call it sounds like he's going to put some type of reference to critical race theory on the call because that's the newest hottest issue we know he wants to run for president so his narrative of course is that democrats walked out on their jobs you know we know that that's actually not true but this is an opportunity for us i think to really push a different narrative and and as we we were saying right before this call uh for me i think the narrative is just that you know, the constitution and the people of Texas gave you 140 days to get their business done and you failed to do that with total control of the government. Then we could discuss how bad the priorities were to begin with, but the priorities he put in place did not pass. Uh, The voter suppression bill SB7 was one of his emergency items that did not pass. And And Joe, I believe you got a little Twitter, uh, you got some Twitter accolades from somebody pointing that out, a a very unexpected, expected person. Yes, yes, it was was really breaking news. uh, As we started recording this podcast, I, I got retweeted by none other than Michael Quinn Sullivan, who is like, uh, what's the guy on Harry Potter, the bad sorcerer, Voldemort? Voldemort. He, he shall not be named. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. We, what am I? Th- what am I thinking? <laughs> but it's basically that guy for the state legislature. He he has access to a lot of money, oil and gas money, which he uses to put pressure and rank, you know, legislators and like push them in certain directions. But it's always to the right. It's never a different direction. It's always further and further. And he retweeted me, basically. The message is out. The Republicans are very good at staying on message. They This is the message they're going with, that Democrats walk out on the job. And so one of these Republican right-wing state reps tweeted that, and I said, that's false. We gave you 140 days, that whole thing. Then Michael Quinn Sullivan came over the top of me with a, with a retweet saying that, you know, sadly, this is true. This was an emergency item. It could have moved fast and early, but the legislative Republicans sat on their hands and waited till the end, all caps, highly disingenuous of Matt Shaheen, who's the Republican rep, to claim otherwise, and Joe is right to call him out. I mean, that's like, I want to say, that's like Matt Gates retweeting AOC, right? Like, I mean, in terms of where we are on the spectrum, I mean, he is, he, you know, for him to do that, that's, he's sending a message in a, in a, in a way that, you know, it's just very interesting to see how these, how narratives form and then how successful they are and who kind of like where you kind of see the echoing of different messages so i i feel like hey look if we can agree on this and and then let's agree on this uh and then that's a message because they if anybody's good at getting a message out it's these guys and if their messages is the governor and these republicans aren't doing their job that's good enough for me now let's talk about why they aren't doing their job. Then now that's obviously where we're going to diverge. But the fact is, if we can get a chorus of people saying the governor wasted your time and your tax dollars and these Republicans are just going along with it, I feel like we're, we're on to something there, maybe. Yeah, I bet wasting Texans time. I think that's the, the, the big theme of this session and will probably be the theme of the special session as well. Yeah, and time is money and we know that. And, you know, and speaking of money, and narratives. The other one, of course, has been the defunding of the police and how all these things come together, right? And I think that's what we have to do piece by piece is like, 
they try to send us in all these different directions, chasing rabbits, you know, to, you know, to keep us distracted on what's really going on. We've got to focus the fact that all these narratives are not really different narratives. And we've talked about this a little bit before about all the terrible things that they've done. There's a through line with this from the voter suppression stuff all the way back through time to the gun, you know, uh, liberalization, we'll say of guns, uh, you know, everywhere, anytime, anybody. Um, and so these things all are in line and, and, and they conf the conflict and that's what I think, you know, how we can kind of get our own message down to something very more concise instead of attacking each one separately as they're, as if they're completely different, um, issues. And so I want to talk a little bit about a couple of the different vetoes and some of them got additional news, uh, specifically, but the, the, the bottom line is, that, and I think that the reason even to bring this up is the fact that they try to say that they're pro-police, they try to say Democrats are anti-police, and they're trying to now frame themselves as pro-public safety. But the fact is, he vetoed money for public safety in the city of Houston, $4 million grant for crime fighting in Houston. Why? Because he's petty and he doesn't like what Harris County has been doing on voting and things like that. And so he's literally defunding the police in Harris County, our biggest county in the state of Texas. And then when it comes to teaching about, you know, family violence and child abuse and dating violence, he vetoed that bill. And I believe that's the one that you wrote about. Yes. Um, so this was Senate Bill 1109. Um, it was also known as the Christine Bluebaugh Act. Uh, Christine was a 16-year-old who was killed by an ex-boyfriend in 2000 in Grand Prairie, Texas. Um, and what happened is afterwards, uh, her friends of her started to come forward saying, you know, we actually maybe did see that there was a pattern of abuse happening with her ex-boyfriend. We were a little afraid to say anything. Um, the ex-boyfriend would die by suicide a few days later. Um, but so this, this bill came about, it was bipartisan in nature, though it was sponsored by Royce West in the Senate and then Rafael Anchia in the House. And the person who actually authored it was the assistant police chief of Grand Prairie. His name is Ronnie Morris. And he came to testify on the bill's behalf. He was actually working the night that Christine was murdered. Uh, so this was a very personal thing for him. And this bill was not, you know, this was only about, you know, four to eight hours of sort of uh, teaching in middle and high school about dating violence, uh, you know, sort of signs, what you should, you should, you know, see if, if like you see this in your family or your friends. Um, and a lot of people came to testify. The judge who heads up the domestic violence court in Harris County, or excuse me, Travis County came to, came to testify as well. Uh, so this was also a, a law enforcement sponsored mm -hmm. bill. This was something that they were really championing, championing, and it was vetoed by Abbott. Now he basically said that the bill uh, did not have an opt out, you know, uh, exemption for parents who who did not want their uh, kids to receive this education. Um, so that was his reason who for the. Who are those people? People you should probably have red flags about if they. I mean, exactly, but that's and that's the whole that's the whole thing, you know. Well, they, and then the, this was also so uh, I should say that the uh, Ronnie Morris, uh, the assistant police chief in Grand Prairie, did say that he you know was willing to you know maybe reamend this bill. He again, we don't know if Abbott would even put this on for the special session, um, but uh, absolutely not. You know, this is this is also the the type. You know, unfortunately. 
there are, um, you know, a, a, and Julian Castro noted this, 26% uh, of all women will experience some, for, some form of violence before they reach 18. Oh, um, God. So this is, this is, I think, one of those things that would have been very helpful, um, especially, you know, if there is actually family abuse that happens and, you know, somebody could maybe see some signs and, and alert mm -hmm. to someone if their friend is going through that. Um, so this was, yeah. this was, this was, a, and it was, uh, there was no warning either. Um, so, you know, uh, this, this young woman who was murdered, her family came to testify on behalf of this. She had a twin sister. Um, so Man, imagine, just... you know, just the, the trauma that they've endured and them trying to basically say, you know, we've gone through this horrific thing and we want to make sure other families don't have to go through that. And then to, mm -hmm. to have this happen. Yeah. And it was almost a unanimous in the legislature support. So it's just really awful. I mean, and, and again, we just got to always draw that connection back to the overall hypocrisy that we're seeing. And I absolutely hate that word. I hate even saying that word because, you know, we, we are all at some point a little hypocritical in the things that we do because we're not perfect. But when, when the basis for your entire value set is un undermined by every action you take, that's a problem at its core. And that's what we're seeing here. You can't say you support family values and then protect the abuser instead of the victim. And you can't say you protect law enforcement and then take money directly out of their hands, not take their advice on how your decisions are going to impact their job and their safety on the job. I think I mentioned this to you maybe, but I saw that, uh, body cam footage from the officer who was responding to domestic violence issue so so close to what you're describing that it, it's it's the kind of thing that you we should make he should have to watch and other people should understand what's really going on here uh, because the guy had a gun he had a history he threatened his wife then the police showed up so he threatened the police and shot at the police and so this is the kind of violence that we're seeing. And if we're going to focus on public safety, then it can't just be on responding to crime. We have to also think about what it means to prevent crime. And these bills are crime prevention bills, understanding and stopping abuse and violence before it maybe not happens the first time before it escalates to a point where somebody ends up dead. And that's, that's what happened here. And uh, you know, another veto that he did that is law enforcement related is to fund the stupid border wall that he's trying to build, $250 million from uh, the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Directly law enforcement money he's taking to build just literally like, like a sandcastle, just build it, you know, just put it in the ground, just throw it away. 1%, that $250 million accounts for just 1% of the cost to build the total $25 billion wall that they're have imagined and I think even that that estimate my understanding was still very um quite conservative in terms of how much it would actually cost um you know there's portions of this that would be in wetlands you have to also remember that there's a lot of ecological environmental life that's down there um i mean it, it's one of those things where like when trump was running on the idea of the wall it was so stupid but now we're actually, I feel like we're an idiocracy. We're like, we've, I mean, like the, the very stupid thing is like trying, they're trying to make it a reality. And it's like, but you know, mm. 
this is you know if that's just where yeah if that's what you want to give your money to on your own time i guess you know fine whatever but yeah but don't upend like the beauty and the natural beauty of our state and and property rights even if you care about that which they apparently claim to but it's going to be a matter of all the people who were upset that the federal government took their land it's not going to be the state that's going to take your land i hope you're happy um i hope that I makes you feel better counsel abbott to you know make sure he has a good accountant handy because again this is how steve bannon was arrested <laughs> was, was yeah absolutely horrible. it's going to get complicated quick i do i do think so well okay uh, that's, yeah, I, I actually, I have to mention one more, one more awful thing as bad as, as bad as the things that he's, he is, uh, he's vetoed. I think this one just really took me, um, the safe outdoors, a safe outdoor dogs act, which yeah. was a bill that would essentially prevent you from having your dog on a chain outside in inclement weather in the hot sun and things like that. It would make it illegal to abuse your dog. And he vetoed that. And, you know, that's a bill that's, you know, a lot of these bills take multiple sessions to get passed. This one is one of those. And I was like so happy when I saw that it finally passed the session with bipartisan support. And then he vetoed it. Yeah, I will say it inspired uh, a pretty uh, ingenious hashtag of Abbott hates dogs. Um, so I believe our signal, uh, we, we, we invited folks to share photos of their their pups um, yeah and let them just let, let us let us see your 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 beautiful animals um and then and we're mm -hmm. sorry that greg abbott hates them yeah exactly i mean it's just so awful like and then he said a very similar thing micromanaging we're micromanaging um no it's abuse so whether it's child abuse family abuse animal abuse you know it's it, nothing is nothing will stand in his way so that's something we've got to work on. Uh, I don't know, get in the word out. I just feel like it seems like such a bad political move, but he's choosing to do this. Nobody made him do any of these. And like you said, in many cases, people were surprised that he did. They had no idea that he was going to do this. So who is it benefiting? I have no idea. But I do think it's important that we let folks know. So thanks again for joining me for another week of what did Abbott do this time? But you know, uh, we'll, we'll keep, we'll keep people informed and, you know, we're, we're looking forward in so many ways to what happens on July 8th, because it'll be, it'll be national news no matter what. And, um, and hopefully it'll continue to allow us to organize and do what we need to do to make this a better place to live for everyone. And so with that, we appreciate everybody visiting texassignal.com and following us and, you know, subscribing to this podcast, checking us out on social media, Instagram, uh, Facebook, obviously Twitter and TikTok. So thanks again. We appreciate uh, always a special thank you to our patrons. So if you'd like to join and and help keep this type of progressive journalism alive and well, you can visit texasignal.com. And at the top right, you'll see join, become one of our Patreon members. And we really appreciate that. So until next time, we will talk to you guys later. Bye guys.